You're listening to There's a Better Way, smart talk on healthcare and technology. If you're up for energizing and story-driven conversations with national healthcare leaders driving industry innovation across the country, then you are in the right place. I'm very excited to welcome Dr. Gita Nayar, also known as Dr. G, to our podcast. When it comes to the impact of technology on healthcare, Dr. G was there at the beginning. She saw firsthand how the medical profession went from physical paper to electronic health records not that long ago, and she placed her bets early on in health IT. As she says, I saw the potential and promise of this better option for connecting data. And as we connect data and communications, we build trust, which is fundamental in healthcare. For Dr. G, it's about battling misinformation, which can be life or death. And it's about building trust in the doctor-patient relationship. So with that said, let's dive right in. I am so excited to welcome the one and only Dr. Gita Nayar, also known as Dr. G, to our podcast today. Thanks so much for having me, Melanie. Well, this podcast is about finding a better way in healthcare, and your entire career has been about just that. I want to get into your work about the pandemic, your stint at Salesforce, and your upcoming book, among other things. But first, let's start where you got started. You're a board-certified rheumatologist. How did you become interested in medicine and specifically rheumatology? Well, look, it was definitely not intentional to become the doctor for the phone company. My, my parents don't let me live that down. <laughs> so, you know, like everything, it was happenstance. I think like you, I realized very early on as a young physician that there had to be a better way. And remember, I'm that generation of physicians that went from paper to digital So while I was learning to be a doctor, I was learning an electronic health record for the first time. And I really just saw the potential and the promise of this better option for connecting data, connecting communications, being able to analyze data. And so I really made a big bet on on health tech very early on in my career. Right. So you saw the, the transition literally while you're being trained. So what did that look like? It was hard. And I also went to medical school in Miami. So you had to learn Spanish all at the same time. So it was definitely a lot at once. But what it does is it it forces you to critically think, right? Because you're in this, this zone of learning and learning how to be a doctor. So you're constantly questioning things. And, you know, part of your training is they're constantly questioning you. And so it did. It kind of was the perfect storm to learn and absorb, but to also say, how do I, what do I want to be? How do I want to contribute? How do I want to show up as a physician? And rheumatology for me, just from a specialty perspective, uh, was very interesting to me. I, I love the immune system. I think autoimmune diseases are fascinating. Um, we have a family member with, with an autoimmune disease. And, you know, the thing about rheumatology is it's a very esoteric space. And so one of the big disconnects in her case was the fact that the data wasn't connected. The pulmonologist didn't know what the cardiologist was doing. Cardiologist didn't know what the endocrinologist, et cetera. And so again, I'm in my training, I'm seeing this electronic health record and I'm like, why would this not just all be much better, smoother, better patient experience? So I really saw a lot of that very early on, but I was just, again, happenstance, really happenstance. 
Well, so there are so many places to dig in on your career and what you've been doing, but let's start with your book. You have written a book called Dead Wrong. Uh, It's due out in the fall, I believe. This has been, gosh, a two-year and running project, and I'm just so excited to, to see it come to fruition. And like everything in healthcare, you, you know this, right? We have so much misinformation and disinformation. Long before COVID, this is not a COVID book. This is really a call to action to say this is the issue of our lifetime. Because of COVID, it's, it's risen to that level um, of awareness, but it's been ever-present, right? How... South Asian community, we use ginger and, and turmeric for everything. You know, it's supposed to cure cancer. And, and how many fallacies are there around pregnancy? And is it a boy? Is it a girl? And yeah, with diabetes, don't you just don't you just have to fast and lose weight? I mean, there's just so many, so many things that really confuse people. And how do you, as a healthcare leader, really take the mandate around misinformation and incorporate it into your digital strategy, into your digital transformation strategy? Yeah, so let's back up then. You mentioned a couple of scenarios, but let's let's like focus on the problem then. It is really important because I think whether you're a physician, whether you're a patient, whether you're a business leader in the healthcare world, certainly at Surescripts, no one wants to be the fool. So how do you actually as as a healthcare organization put out the right information? How do you build that trust? And then how do you as a consumer know what you're reading, know what you're sharing, know how you're impacting your, your own family and, 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 and personal health. Every one of our organizations, whether you work at pharma, whether you're a payer or provider, we all have marketing communications functions. I think we've not really empowered that trusted relationship between the doctor and patient at, at scale the way we could if we were smart about it, right? Because at the end of the day, no one is trusting Forgive me, but no one trusts their pharma company. No one trusts their insurance company. No one even trusts the hospital. But that individual physician is usually the reason you come back in spite of the horrible waiting room experience, in spite of the horrible administrative staff. And the questions that we all get as physicians, not that they're cookie cutter, but we do have some standard things, right? For example, in rheumatology, if you have a new diagnosis of lupus, here's the three things I want you to know about. Why would marketing and communications not come up with a blog series for me, right? It's the partnership and the acknowledgement that patients are going to get information. Why not from their doctor? And why don't we make it easier for doctors who are not trained to do these things, right? Just like we would with any other KOL, any other key opinion leader. And I actually think pharma is well positioned for this. You know, pharma is so close to the research. So much of our research and data comes from the pharma space, but they're never going to be the voice. They're never going to be the trusted partner. So that middle layer is so critical, but it's important for pharma to help, right? And and for there to still be this trusted relationship, but also within the confines of all of the regulations around pharma and, and, and physicians, there's space there. There's space if you can be creative and ingenuitive and authentic to creating that trust with the patient. Yeah, you're speaking my language right now. The marketing communications, the snackables, the thought leadership that you take the big research and make it very understandable for patients. Uh, Where is that happening? Is that happening at scale in places that you can think of right now? 
I think it's happening in pockets and you're seeing this happen a lot in TikTok, right? Where the physicians that are building their businesses are really, really successful in TikTok. One of the things we learned during, during COVID was, you know, everything the Surgeon General said was so important. And the thing is, we have Surgeon Generals in every zip code. In every zip code, physicians have a following, whether it's, you know, OBGYN, pediatrics. I mean, so many moms well, I will never leave my pediatrician, right? He has like gotten us through so many stages of, of childhood development. So how do you, again, how do you turn that on at scale in a really deliberate way? Not in these pockets, but how do you get the hospital CEO to say this is mission critical? Then the second piece to that is not just the marketing patient education piece, but then how do you turn that into an appointment? How do you actually turn that into an appointment? I mean, part of the work I'm doing with ZocDoc, which I'm enjoying, is improving access. Right now, we have a physician workforce shortage. We have a burnout issue. Patients can't get appointments, let alone know where to go and who their insurance will allow them to see. So, you know, the true way to do this from a digital transformation standpoint is you want to hit all those different uh, patient pain points on the patient journey, pre-visit, during the visit, and post-visit. Oh, you just hit so many topics I want to dig into. So let's start with trust. Can you talk about the role of trust? Trust is everything. If I don't trust you, I certainly won't listen to you or take your advice. I think this is one of the things we continue to have to do better in healthcare. But if I don't see you as relatable, if I don't see you as reachable, if I don't identify a commonality, whether it's an association, organization, et cetera, I won't listen to you. You know, why do people listen to their hairdresser or... Um, their neighbor, it's because they're reachable, they're relatable, right? And too often in healthcare, we've made that the doctor or the hierarchy of that, and and we we are not reachable, we are not relatable. And so we have to do a better job of understanding that the messenger matters in healthcare. Every time I drop off my daughter at school, someone will inevitably stop me and say, hey, do you know a female cardiologist? Do you know a female um, uh, gynecologist? Do you know, why is that? And it's because women think, well, they'll understand me because they're a woman. Like there's this automatic, they'll be more relatable. They'll have better bedside manner than a man. They'll actually listen to me. So trust and everything you just talked about, relatability, trust, it is a high bar when we have this incredible burnout and shortage for providers. So can you talk about that? Look, everyone is talking about artificial intelligence. It's that silver bullet. It's going to replace doctors. It's going to, right? I, one of the best ways to, to use AI, in my opinion, is this low-hanging fruit around physician burnout right? The idea that how can we make the documentation better? How can we automate the things we should automate so that we can leave the people parts to the people, to the actual frontline workers? So when I think about artificial intelligence and the way we can improve clinical documentation, clinical decision support, you know, taking that pajama time away so that physicians can rest, physicians can finish their work at the, at the clinic, at the hospital, and not in the evenings after, after work and after they spend time with their families, we have to, we have to do it better. And that's the best and most important low hanging fruit. I think particularly with AI that we have 
is the workflow. It's it's simple. It's the simple things that we can take off of the the doctor's plate, the nurse's plate that will make the biggest impact today, right now, as it relates to burnout and the shortage issue. Where do you see some successes happening right now in that area? I'm you know excited to see some of the work being done by Microsoft's Nuance, the the Dragon technologies, the AI technologies. They're making impacts. They're focusing on the right things, which is the workflow right? Not how do we replace the doctor? People still want to see people. They're not going to the doctor's office to see a robot, right? So how do we actually take the burden off of the frontline workers so that they can be people again, and they can be empathetic, and they can listen? You're firmly in telemedicine. What spurred your interest, and where do you see this going? I've been doing telemedicine long before we were allowed to right? Because there was always the the sidebar, there was always the text, there was always the phone call. Really, the only silver lining to COVID is probably that telemedicine finally became blessed from a regulatory standpoint, and, and we were able to do it at scale. If you're having chest pain, do not do a virtual visit, right? But if it's a wound check, if it is a simple counseling question, if it's an access issue, and you just can't actually get to a doctor for six months, but you are able to get one Virtually, by all means, that's better than than delaying care. Some people still like to have that in-person visit from that trust, relatability uh, points that we talked about earlier. And some people just like to be looked in the eye, like the actual eye, because they feel like it's an important conversation. But others don't. Others say, look, I'm busy. I just need the advice. I just need the prescription, et cetera. So I think we're still learning both on the consumer side and the provider side. But there is ample opportunity for for growth and to figure this out in a better way. What do you see as the future for telemedicine? I think it's just going to be how we practice. I think it will just be part of the workflow. I think it will just be part of how, how we, how we do it. Monday, Wednesday, Fridays are telemedicine visits, Tuesday and Thursdays in the office. It will be hybrid. Babies still got to be born. Surgeries still have to be done. It will certainly be hybrid. I, I will also say, even from a physician preference, you know, it's very different when I can actually feel my patient's joints as opposed to them telling me what it feels like. There are just some intangibles that you you just want. And, and a lot of it is going to be very different per specialty and, and stylistically for that individual physician, for that individual patient. So let's just talk for a moment about interoperability. Because that is, you know, that's a little bit of the telehealth situation, a little bit of the telehealth situation you talked about just then. And, and certainly, you know, we started out talking about that, about any specialty or any provider needing a complete medical record. Where are we at with interoperability in this whole? I think we continue to make progress. But, you know, ultimately, interoperability is not a tech issue. It's really not. It's a competition issue. If we wanted to make all the plugs work and everybody to be connected, we could do it in, in, a, in a heartbeat, right? The issue is that you have stakeholders competing and incentives that make them compete. So why would hospital A share with hospital B? Why would retailer A share with retailer B? The retailers, as we continue to see them enter the market, are becoming a formidable force as well. So ultimately, this is not a technology issue. It really is how do, how do businesses compete you don't want to get your CBC repeated. You don't want to do a procedure twice. You don't want to pay for it twice. Well, you need to have your information. You need to have your record and you need to be the one that shares it and, and be your own shepherd. Not easy and not everyone can do that or has the literacy or the ability to do that. But ultimately, that is where I think 
things will, will be solved. And you see it. You see it in the patients and families that are organized, have their, their data together, are using any number of applications out there that allow you to do this. But it will be in the consumer's hand. The smarter the consumer gets about their healthcare, they will realize that they are the actual shepherd of their information. And that would take care of, I've, I've talked about this a number of times on the podcast, but I'll share again. That would take care of the situation, like, for example, that I, that I had where I had a blood test in one health system on one EHR. It needed to go to another one. And I waited for a couple of weeks and I finally called and said, so when is it going to go over? And they asked me to print it and fax it. And of course, given what I do, I, I challenged them and said, well, I happen to know that your EHR talks to their EHR. And so could you try one more time, please? 20 minutes later, it was over there. Now, that's behavior change across a large group of physicians and all of their staff and all of that. That's, that takes a long time and is very hard. But if I had owned my record, then I could have made that happen electronically. And it takes care of some of that other behavior change. So interesting. It's true. And, you know, I think also with the advent of all these wearable devices, consumers are excited. They're excited to say, here's my heartbeat. Do you want to see it? Here's my, here's my sleeping bed. You know, and sometimes the answer is no TMI. Right. But, but this idea that the consumer is like, I want to own my information and interpret it. I think it's terrific. I think it's a culture shift that we'll continue to see happen. And that is my hope is that there is a disruption that happens in the consumer space where it becomes easier for you to pull your own labs and all your, your lab data, whether from Quest or LabCorp, and then you just, you shoot it over and you say, you know what, I'm taking you out of the equation, health system or hospital system, and I'm going to bring it with me. But, but it's, it, we are a ways away from that. Yeah, we might be a ways away from that, but we'll, we'll see where that, we'll see where 21st century cures takes us to, right? The implementation of some of that work that's happening now. So uh, very good. All right. So let's talk about the pandemic. For our listeners out there, some of you may have seen Dr. G on PBS, CNN, other local TV programs during the pandemic, explaining what we needed to do to fight the virus and promoting the vaccine to keep Americans safe. Thank you for lending your voice to that fight. Um, This is such a great example about how communications are so important. You just talk about what it was like and to share your views on vaccinations and masks and public health measures. Sure. Look, it was um, it was scary. I mean, if I'm being really honest, it, it was scary because one, the data was constantly changing. So no, no doc, no professional ever wants to be wrong. So just staying abreast of all the information was a challenge in itself to make sure that you were as up-to-date as you could be in the moment. So I would say that was step one. Uh, Step two, there was a lot of confusion. And so making sure you chose your words very carefully, I'm sort of very proud of that because that is in itself a bit of a talent and that you really want to say less is more, right? You actually sometimes saying less is more. But you also, you know, you you lost some friends. I, I would say that things, you know, got very public and neighbors, friends, family would voice their opinions and they were not necessarily in line, uh, in line with, with myself as a physician. So understanding how to 
navigate that dynamic, have always navigated that from a physician-patient relationship standpoint, but never from the neighbor that says, well, I saw you, saw you on TV, and you know, I didn't like that you said this, or I didn't appreciate that X, Y, and Z. Um, on the flip side, it was really beautiful to see so many people come forward, also share their stories or say, thank you. Thank you. We didn't know what to do. And we heard you. And it, it actually changed the way we got together for the holidays or changed the way um, we did things. So it was a tough time, but I, I think a lot of beautiful moments came out of it and hopefully we're, we're stronger for it. And again, my book really was inspired by that entire, that entire time period. So I, I feel really uh, passionate about it and really felt like, gosh, you know, science needs a PR campaign. Like how did science not become, how did not knowing facts become cool? I think that was ultimately what bothered me the most. What did you learn from the process that you'll take with you in this next chapter? Oh goodness. Well, communication is everything and and it's everything in, in every profession and in every relationship, personal, professional, you know, everything comes down to trust and everything comes down to that human factor. And, you know, I think the other thing I was reminded of, and I remember in medical school is, you know, when you make a mistake or you don't know the answer, say that I'm sorry, or I don't know. And, and I think being really humble about that. Well, at the time, this was the recommendation. And now, you know, I think people needed to hear that because it was confusing and also being human as a physician makes people uh, respect you and trust you more as opposed to just defending, you know, why you were right at the time. I think having that humility is really important. And I do want to say something about all of the communities, whether it was celebrities, uh, religious organizations, athletes that came out. One of the most beautiful things I actually saw on social media during the pandemic was when Matthew McConaughey hosted Dr. Fauci on his Instagram live. And he said, I don't know about COVID. I don't know about viruses. I don't understand them, but I know someone who does. And he brought an independent of whatever anyone's political views are. But the, the point is that we have communities where we have influencers that really do have a lot of trust and trying to partner with a medical organization or a medical professional is really important. I, I think seeing you know, someone like a Dr. Fauci with with a celebrity, it's important that we make that a safe space because we do have so many partners in the community, whether religious celebrities against sports athletes. And rather than those individuals saying, this is what you should do. I like the idea of saying, this is who you should listen to, or you should really go out and find a doctor. I think that partnership is really powerful. And so I realized one of the things I learned was as a as a doctor, you know, who could I, how can I partner with some non-traditional partners to win more trust in the community? And I found that people were receptive to that. Like churches wanted to have doctors come in. They wanted, you know, people wanted that. They didn't know where to start. And so as we talked about Marcom strategies or growth strategies, I think that's a strategy for, for any healthcare leader is how do you partner in the community in a way that Again, it's it's easy. Of, of course, there's this question in the community. We're going to go to this organization or this leading healthcare um, uh, provider, and and that's our partner going forward. I, I think some interesting partnerships came out, and I hope that they're long lasting. You're talking about segmenting your market and understanding what their needs are and who can speak to them and who can really be a partner in establishing trust. So. 
Um, very cool. And I, I do, I have to say, I hope, and it'll be interesting to look at the med school stats in the next four to eight years, but I hope that infectious disease, public health, and even rheumatology have, are having their day right now, right? We Based on so. what we experienced. We hope so. But, you know, I still think a lot of a lot of pieces are, are broken. And the other piece is that I think we all are reminded of during COVID is, you know, we're only as strong as the weakest among us. And understanding that underserved communities, the black and brown communities, those partnerships were really pivotal to reaching those communities because they did, in fact, not trust. They, and they do, in fact, not trust the medical community. But they do trust their congregation. They do trust their their local or 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 um, local celebrity, local athlete. And so, why not? You know, why not find that partnership if you're truly going to impact those communities? And like it or not, those communities impact every community, and we are all connected. And so, I think those were probably some of the things we were all reminded of during COVID. And I hope again that those stay on the forefront as we think about social determinants of health and and the way we reach some of these communities. So you've already achieved a lot in your career, and we've talked about a number of the things that you've done, including which we haven't spoken about. You're a former chief medical officer of AT&T. That's your phone phone company reference early on. Um, Greenway Health, uh, APCO Worldwide, and Salesforce. That's just naming a few things. So if you could sum up your career so far, how would you say, how would you sum up your career so far? You know, I have really thrived on the intersection between business, medicine, and technology. And that's really where I plan to continue to focus. I have also really enjoyed building solid, good health tech products and then being out in the market as a trusted thought leader and voice and either explaining, you know, strategy, just like this conversation, right? Where you need to focus, where you need to go and how you can make an impact. And so I think, you know, continuing to do that work really excites me. I hope the book takes that to another level and I'm able to drive more and more impact at scale in, in helping stir and spark some of these conversations in different healthcare organizations. And really the, the book tour starts all this, the speaking circuit. I'm, you know, I'm going to be living out a suitcase for, for quite a bit this fall, um, but I'm so excited. And it's, and it's so neat because I'm also speaking to just a variety of audiences, anywhere from public health to GPOs to health tech. So it's been really neat to just be able to, to spread sort of the, the audience in a way that that is exciting and, and newer for me. Well, that's that's great. I'm excited to hear more about and to read the book and to watch that tour. Um, what's next on the horizon for you beyond the tour? You know, I haven't thought that far ahead, Melanie. I feel like I'm taking life <laughs> in six month increments at this point. I I imagine I will continue to do what what I've always done and um, continue to partner. I'm you know I'm partnering with a couple of organizations. StockDoc is one of them, but I'm advising a few companies. I'm doing the speaker circuit and really focused on making uh, the book a success. I hope everyone reads it and feels inspired to do something about it. Is really the the ultimate metric of success for me. Well, one of the questions that I ask everyone who comes on the podcast, we're talking about how we, you know, how we do better in healthcare and doing better requires inspiration. So where do you get your inspiration? 
You know, I have to say, I get my inspiration from so many different places, but probably I think, you know, inspiration for me really starts at home. Uh, both my parents are physicians. They've inspired me my, my whole life. My book is actually dedicated to them. And, you know, I look at my parents now in their late 70s and early 80s, and my dad still rounds at the hospital. He is a very um, proud, hardworking ICU physician, and not because he has to, but because he loves to. Like he really loves to, and he's one of those ICU docs that practiced throughout COVID. Um, you know, met the moment, uh, continued to lead throughout COVID, and now. So my dad um, and mom inspire me every day. My mom was way ahead of her generation, way ahead of her um, country. I mean, she was you know one of the only women in her medical school class in India, and so I think the two of them really together just inspire me that their love and dedication for for medicine and healthcare, and and to watch them in, in every facet of their career has been really inspiring for me. And also my daughter. I mean, it's kind of interesting for me to look at my parents and then to look at my daughter who's 11, figuring out what she wants to be when she grows up and just the the, the everyday curiosity that she has, her friends has. It's just, it's exhilarating because you enjoy having these conversations. And, and I, I always ask myself, you know, how can I leave them better? How can I inspire them to do something and to do, you know, meet their own potential in, in life. So I, I think sure. that's probably my, my two places where I go. <laughs> awesome. That's just great. So what excites you most about the future of healthcare? You know, it is a really exciting time to be in healthcare. We have lived through a pandemic. We have new technologies like artificial intelligence that are going to change the game. We have opened the floodgates on telemedicine. I, I think we're just getting started. It, you know, it really, we're just getting started. And if I think about your nephew who's just starting medical school, healthcare is going to be better. It's going to be better in the next two years, 20 years, 200 years. I mean, we are changing. It's slow. It's slower than any of us want, but it's happening. But it's happening and it'll happen because we did it. We, we helped do it and move, move the needle. I agree with you. Healthcare is going to get better very quickly. Um, not quickly enough for many, but it will get better. So awesome. Well, last but not least, do you still find time to see patients as a doctor? I do. You know, I have very intentionally and probably because my my dad, my dad was so disappointed when I joined the phone company. He's like, what do you mean you're not going to see patients? You have to see patients. So I, I have always seen patients in whatever role I've had. Very, very little. So I'm um, a voluntary faculty at the University of Miami. And I actually see patients in our um, our, our clinic in Little Haiti. And that was a really tough time during COVID. We also had to close and then open and do telemedicine. It was, again, very, very humbling. I enjoy working with medical students. I love the University of Miami, my alma mater, and I, I do continue to see patients a couple times a month when I can. It just it just all depends. This fall will depend on what city I'm in with the book tour, but I, I do pepper it in when I'm able to. Sure. Well, that's a great way to keep your hands in and to have uh, uh keep your perspective when you're talking about the things that you're talking about. Right. And so I guess one more question is where do you find the time? Because you have a lot on your plate. You know, I think we always find the time for the things we love and we can't do everything and we can't do everything all at the same time. So I think you just, you just find it and you say, this is the day and you put it on the calendar and you make it happen. But that means something else doesn't happen that day. Right. And that's kind of how I've been making up my, my whole life. So that's, that's how I do it. I don't know. It's all prioritization. And well, thank you so much for spending time with us, Dr. G, talking about the intersection between business, medicine, and technology, the things that you love and that are really important to all of us in healthcare for the future. Thank you so much for having me, Melanie. 
A number of things you shared today really resonated with me. To name a few, first, you said that misinformation can be dangerous to your health, which led you to title your book, Dead Wrong. After all, in healthcare, it can be life or death. Second, you said that interoperability is not a tech issue. It comes down to competition and partnership, and ultimately, consumers being shepherds of their own information. And third, you said that we always find time for things we love, which is why you still carve out time to serve patients as a rheumatologist, even as you're writing books and continuing to work at the intersection of business, medicine, and technology. Thank you, Dr. G, for taking time to be on our show today. Thank you for listening in today. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate, subscribe, and review. There's a better way. Smart talk on healthcare and technology. With your help, we'll continue to bring great conversations to the fore and to the wider listening public. Thank you.